So the European Central Bank is obviously central to all of this. Well, see what you did there. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and I'm here with James Meadway, who's a senior economist here at the New Economics Foundation for the weekly economics podcast, where this week we're going to be jargon-busting Europe and quantitative easing. Eurozone manufacturing is at a 10-month high, according to the latest numbers from market. Services at a 46-month high, the two together giving the best combined reading for four years. We will, on 9 March 2015, start purchasing euro-denominated public sector securities in a secondary market. The ECB's QE programme can deliver confidence, it can deliver a boost to consumer and investor sentiment. negative. Recent data does point to an economy improving, if not judging by the latest sharp drop in German industrial orders. So excellent news. Uh, there's growth in Europe, which sounds great, but everyone knows Europe is, you know, complicated, boring, or frankly frightening if you're Nigel Farage. Um, obviously, that's not the spirit of the weekly economics podcast. So we're uh, dedicating this episode to busting some of the jargon around the EU to make it more easy to get your heads around. So James, up first, is Europe the same as the EU? What's the difference? Well, the EU is European Union. So it's a group of uh, 28 countries that over a number of years, and this is a load of sort of history involved here, all the way back to the 1950s when it was France and Germany decided rather crudely that they didn't want to go to war with each other again quite as many times as they had done in the past. And they thought one way to avoid this was to promote economic cooperation between those two countries with a bunch of others who, who signed up in the Treaty of Rome in the early 1950s. And that's developed over the years into this big system of free trade, of sets of legislation, of agreements on environmental protection, on agreements on how to run economies, on agreements on people being able to move uh, right the way across the European Union without you know restrictions, all these sort of sets of rules. Uh, rules and regulations that have been introduced. The most important one, sort of economically, recently, is the creation of the euro, the single currency, uh, in 1999. So um, is the eurozone the same as the EU? Yeah, that's that's the other bit. It's the, the, the EU, I mean, Britain's a member of the European Union, and there's a bunch of other countries who are in the European Union but decided not to join the euro, so they all carry on using their own national currency. So we still have the pound here, uh, Bulgaria still has the lev, uh, Denmark still has the krona, if memory serves. There's a few of them that are like that. But the core of Europe, or at least the core of the European Union, are now members of the single currency. So they just all use the euro. Uh, and so the European Central Bank is probably central to all of this. How are they helping to increase growth? Well, the, the deal with the European Central Bank is that it's meant to be the central bank, as the name uh, hints, uh, for the Eurozone, which is exactly like the Bank of England is here, or the Federal Reserve is in the US. So you have a currency, uh, you have banks that issue this currency, and standing behind those banks, kind of looking out for them when they, as they inevitably do, sort of mess things up, is your central bank. It's a guardian of the whole system. It's got this special privilege of being able to look after all the other banks one way or the other. So the European Central Bank is a central bank for banks inside the Eurozone that are issuing euros. So it's there to kind of look after things. And what, and what have they been up to at the moment? Well, what they've been up to is after many years of uh, crisis and flapping about and broadly speaking, introducing lots of schemes that one way or the other didn't really work. And that's kind of the 
procedure from about 2009 onwards. What the European Central Bank has done this year, just at the end of January, is say that it's going to be doing quantitative easing. It's going to be introducing what we've had in this country since 2009, what they've had in America since 2009, which is this idea that you can have a central bank that issues new money, just creates it out of thin air effectively, this is new electronic money, and uses that money to go off to other banks, to other financial institutions, and buys assets from them as a way of shoveling much, much more money into the wider economy. That's the theory, at least. So you've mentioned quantitative easing there, and I think in in the press, at least, it's often referred to as simply printing money. Um, But in the UK, at least, I think even spectators Fraser Nelson has called this the largest transfer of wealth from poor to rich that's ever happened. So why is the EU doing this? Well, the idea here is, I mean, printing money is kind of half of the the, the issue, half of the operation involved, is that you've got a central bank. It's like other banks. It can just create new money. They've got this privilege. They can do that. They can say, here is your bank account. It has £100. Uh, We just say there's £200 in it now. It can do that. To make the whole operation work with quantitative easing, it doesn't do this to just anybody's bank account. It will do this to sets of large financial institutions. So it goes off to banks, goes off to pension funds, insurance companies, things like this. Says, we'll give you this new extra created money that we've just created. And at the same time, we'll use this money to buy from you bonds. So these are assets. These is, This is debt that's already kind of floating around in the private sector somewhere. And the government or the central bank in this case is buying that uh, those bonds back in again with the money that it's just created. So these are two parts of the operation. The idea, or at least the original theory here, was that if you just give a load of money to, to the poor old banks, uh, they'll feel happier about themselves and they'll go off and lend that money to everybody else and this will kind of stoke up activity and the economy will carry on growing and everything's going to be fine. So it's a way of trying to stoke up activity. You do it particularly when interest rates are really, really low. When you've got interest rates that are very close to zero, it's very hard to get them below zero. So you do quantitative easing instead. That was the theory. Okay, so if that's the idea, James, what actually happens in practice? What's happened in practice is, and this is what Fraser Nelson's alluding to, what's happened in practice is that this money has made its way into financial institutions. They've gone off and invested that in assets like uh, property in central London or shares, and that has whacked up the price of property in central London and shares, and that's made people who own property in central London and shares, which is a small group of people, very much richer. So it's a transfer of wealth from the rest of us to the rich is what's really taking place here. Okay, so it's actually having an impact on the kind of property prices right here in London. Yes, that's exactly it. It's it's boosting property prices here. It's certainly had a role, uh, probably a reduced role, but it's certainly helped inflate share prices. You can see this the same thing in America, that share prices gone up and up and up using quantitative easing money that people are just going off and buying shares with it. And they're doing that because it's kind of low risk and it's easy. And it's quite good if somebody's just giving you really cheap, high quality money from, straight from the central bank. You can go off and invest it in something low risk, boost up the price, make yourself richer. You're much happier because you're wealthy. Everybody else probably isn't quite so happy about this. So Neff talks quite a bit about strategic quantitative easing. What What's that? Well, the idea here is that, look, if you're going to create a load of money, um, why do it in a way that basically makes rich people richer and doesn't do that much for the rest of us? This is not entirely uh, sensible or logical. And this is basically how quantitative easing has played out over the last few years. Now, there is a side effect from making rich people richer. They do go out and spend a bit more. So, you know, hopefully the economy kind of gets moving a bit. But it would be much quicker and easier if you said, OK, we've created this money. Why don't we spend it on useful? things? Why don't we invest it in 
renewable energy? Why don't we invest it in transport infrastructure? Why don't we spend it on stuff that people might actually want and use rather than kind of shoveling it in the general direction of the very wealthy? So this sounds a, a little bit like what I guess they call helicopter money, literally chucking money out of helicopters. Isn't this just another version of that? The idea is that you, you just kind of give people cash. You go, OK, we can create uh, cash. We can create money. We're a central bank. Any bank can do this, really. We'll just go off and give people a load of money. They go and spend. Uh, because they go and spend, the economy grows, employment rises, everybody's better off, uh, job done. The risk here, and this is a thing that lots of people get very excited about, is that if you just go and print money, one of the things that might happen, particularly if your economy is already growing, is that instead of making your economy grow faster and making everyone really richer, you just end up with more inflation. And that's often held up as the big disadvantage of printing money, that you find that governments that end up printing money, uh, you know, classic examples, hyperinflation in Europe during the 1920s, that governments that end up issuing too much money end up with very, very high rates of inflation. Because these are weak governments that are trying to shut everybody up by just giving them new cash that they've printed. Well, thank you very much, James. I can proudly head off to wow my friends, knowing my uh, Europe's from my Eurozones, my EU's from my QE's. Thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us. Thank you. Sorry, listeners, we're not here next week as it's a bank holiday in the UK. Four-day weekend. But you can join us in two weeks' time for more lovely economics chat. (laughs) 